0: be seated. Uh, I'd like to read to you this uh, evening uh, just a short passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. And um, picking picking up in uh, uh, verse 16 for context, as he's going to be explaining the reason that we need grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? We need to hear the gospel. He, he writes in verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's pray together once more. Uh, Our Father in heaven, we thank you for living, that we are living in a country that uh, pauses uh, for a day of uh, national reflection and thanksgiving, that we might take stock and forget not all your benefits. Oh, our Father, we pray that the blessings of this gratitude may continue to accrue to our nation and to its citizens. We pray that uh, some reflection on your goodness would bless us this week and that uh, we might be truly a grateful and contented people. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. On the fourth Thursday of every November, of our government has appointed a whole day for our nation to unite in thanksgiving to God. Businesses must close so that people may be free to gather in families, pray, feast, rejoice, our whole nation uniting in thanksgiving to God from whom all blessings flow. Um, Many people think that the beginning of this observance was at Plymouth Plantation in New England in the 1620s. And there are even books about the first Thanksgiving. However, my fellow Virginians We must remember that as the first British colony, an annual day of Thanksgiving was written into the founding charter of Berkeley 100 in Charles City County, Virginia, in 1619, one whole year before those pilgrims even hit Plymouth Rock. All right. Now, I find it very interesting that our nation would set aside one whole day every year for a particular religious duty. I mean, we don't get a day off a year to pray, even though there is a National Day of Prayer, I suppose, on the calendar. We're not given off for that. We we don't get a day off to do good works. You say, well, David, you could pray or do good works any time. Yeah, and you could be thankful at any time, as you should. But we don't get a day off for those other things. However, we have chosen as a nation to give this religious duty special time Special importance and special prominence in our country and isn't that curious that of all the religious duties that we could emphasize and make Special time for as a nation. This is what we've chosen Thanksgiving Well, I think that's interesting and as I was thinking about that and I was preparing my worship service uh, For the for this week I asked my computer to give me all the verses that had to do with Thanksgiving so I could select things for the morning service and I was surprised at the very long list of verses that came back from all over the Bible, the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, Gospels, Epistles. And the verses were very broad and emphatic, right? Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, do uh, doing in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name continually. Uh, Ephesians 5:20. giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, on and on it goes. Uh, I had an embarrassment of riches as I was picking out things this morning because there are so many verses like this. And on the contrary, there are verses that describe what I could fairly call the devastating effects of ingratitude, of unthankfulness. For example, as Israel was about to enter the promised land, God warned them what was going to happen, what was going to be the result, because, he says, you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies." whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he'll put a yoke of iron around your neck until he's destroyed you. Uh, you think, is, is that, is that a, f- a fair recompense? Well, what happened was the, 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 the lack of gratitude for all of God's gifts meant they turned aside rather than worship the creature, They worship the, rather than worship the creator, they worship the creature. And it began a downward spiritual slide That ended in that. It's the same in Romans 1, where we find the descent of man outlined here. Paul describing our need for the gospel, beginning with this downward spiral uh, of the world and its society into immorality in a way that's uncomfortably modern, you notice. Um, I didn't read it all to you. Perhaps you remembered the flow turning away from God. People turn to idolatry, corrupt sexuality, homosexuality, until the worst sins of society are manifested, tracing this path from ungodliness to unrighteousness, from the corruption of the most private of of human relationships to corruption in the most public way. Verse 30, till people become inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, undistrustworthy, unloving unforgiving unmerciful and he says liable to the judgment seat of god here again is the path from unfaithfulness to ungodliness to unrighteousness to the worst of judgment so where did we go wrong i'd like to speak to you about thanksgiving today um in a roundabout way I'd like to uh, uh, open up for you these few verses I read to you about why it is um, human societies take a wrong turn and how it is that we as Christians must find the way back. I'd like to say first from this passage that that all people know that God is good and has been good to them. All people know that God is good and has been good to them. Um, Why does Paul here say that everyone knows God? Well, verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. God has revealed himself to everyone, not only through all the things that we see, but even in our instinct of of who we are and um, everywhere we look design, purpose, wisdom, glory people know that there is a God and a good God. People know. Even more than that, he says in the coming verses, we're reminded that we know that God is good and patient and just, but he is the righteous judge of the world. And although we suppress these truths and unrighteousness, we instinctively know what our sins deserve, namely death. For God has imprinted such essential facts on our minds. Um, Michael Brooks, not a religious man at all, reported on some research in recent days In an article in The New Scientist, Brooks writes, it turns out that human beings have a natural inclination for religious belief, especially during hard times. It seems that our minds are finely tuned to believe in gods. He, He reflects on why this might be. He says it's a curious evolutionary adaptation that must somehow allow us to survive. But he says that a great many studies have now confirmed this. Researchers have found, in his words, quote, children tend to spontaneously invent the concept of God without adult intervention. Uh, Describing a number of studies where people that have been raised with absolutely no religious environment would ask questions with the children, they know answers. How do they know such a thing? He refers to studies to show that people instinctively believe not only that there is a God, but it his design and purpose and intentions in the world, in morality, right and wrong, in life after death, in the spiritual nature of uh, creatures and in divine judgment among other things. I mean, we don't need studies or reports from the new scientists to know this, but, but, but I think it's, it's curious that, that even, even unbelieving people, when they ask unbelieving children these questions, they, they get the right answer. All that to say, this is the point, People not only know that God exists, they know that God is good. They know that God has been very good to them. He's made us. He's the source of every blessing. He's given us life and breath and all things. Paul begins telling the country folk in Lystra, we, we prayed it this morning, that you need to turn from these useless idols to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all things that are in them. He He's in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. I mean, he didn't bring the bring his foot down upon you the moment you turn from his ways right he's been patient with you in wrongdoing nevertheless he didn't leave himself without witness he did good gave us rain from heaven fruitful seasons filling our heart with food and gladness he's able to say to, to people you see that he's he's just met you know that god has been very good to you and generous and patient he hasn't left himself without witness acts chapter 17 same thing paul starts with god our creator the, the poets already demonstrating that they know the truth of these things that god made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth he's determined our pre-appointed times the boundaries of our dwelling so that we should seek the lord in the hope that we might grope and for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us for in him we live And move and have our being as some of your own poets have said for we are his offspring therefore since we're the offspring of God we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone and so forth Um, so my point to you is this Um, you certainly don't need a Bible to know God or to realize that you ought to be thankful to him the very heavens declare the glory of God The firmament shows his family, his handiwork. Day to day they utter speech, night to night they reveal knowledge. It continually testifies to us, without and within, that there is a very good God who made this world. God reveals himself to us. Why? Well, he says here that we might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from us. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the most important truths of life about him or about ourselves. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know where we came from. He wants us to know the one to whom we owe our lives and everything. And the one for whom we ought to be living them. He wants us to know the true meaning of things. That things that are most precious in the world. The things that make our lives important and worth living. That all of these have come from the heart of the living God. Man's problem is not that he doesn't know anything about God. The problem is that what he knows in the passage, he suppresses. That It's not that God hasn't been good to us. The truth is he's given us everything, but we choose not to keep that in mind. So, verse 18, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness leads us to our second point. Not only do people know this good God, that all people are without excuse for their unthankfulness. We're talking today about an inexcusable sin. This is how Paul puts it, people are without excuse because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God nor were thankful. I told you all some time ago about what happened to uh, Wayne Grudem, seminary professor of some note. One day, years ago, he was heading home for the holidays from college. He was sharing a ride with some other students and uh, two were in the front. Uh, He and uh, another girl from school were in the back. He was a Christian. She was an atheist and it was an interesting conversation as they talked back and forth for a while about why he believed and about why she didn't believe. Well, they drove and drove. They were driving through the night. They both fell asleep in the back and suddenly on on a bridge, the driver hit an icy patch of road the tires lost their grip, and they both bolted awake in the back seat with the car spinning on the icy bridge. The girl, in fear, cried out, oh, Jesus, help us. And uh, as it happened, the, the, the car turned around and stopped, and everyone was fine. Didn't hit a thing. They, they went on their way. And the two in the back seat had a little laugh. <laughs> Wasn't that curious? Somehow. In that very moment of life and death, she not only believed that there was a God, but it seems that she, that she knew that he was omniscient and omnipotent. In other words, that he could hear her in the car and help her if he wished. And presumably from her upbringing, she even cried for help and mercy in the name of Jesus. That illustrates the truth of the passage, that even if we suppress the truth about God, we, we can't really put it very far out of our minds. It's, it's always there, just waiting to pop back up. In fact, uh, some of you know Greg Monson used to use this illustration of that uh, kid's game in the pool, which you've probably played with a ball. Um, Have you ever taken the ball and you you try to hide it underwater? Maybe you try to sit on it and uh, you pretend that you don't have the ball. Ball? What ball? I don't have a ball. Well, spiritually speaking, that's how some people live their lives. God? What God? I don't know what God you're talking about. But then as soon as they're knocked off balance a little, that knowledge pops right back up to the surface again. This is our situation. Now, we're living in a time when God's power and divine nature, his genius, his brilliance, his glory, are being seen, it seems, day after day in a way that has never been seen before. That is to say, astronomers are marveling. You're seeing some of these new pictures from the new telescope. It's just astonishing. Biochemists daily uh, learning the unfathomable intricacies of of what God has done in organic life. Er, Earlier generations conceived of the universe and of, of life as being far simpler, frankly far less glorious, but we see the wonders of creation that generations never dreamed of. Nevertheless, man continues to suppress the truth and is increasingly, I think, marginalizing God to the position of irrelevance in modern life, certainly in science. This is something that Paul calls in our passage ungodliness, putting God out of our minds, not glorifying Him, not being thankful. That's the beginning of a deadly downward spiral. They didn't glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Down and down it goes. Verse 28 Even as they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that are not fitting. It's like in Israel. Fine, you don't want to thank the Lord for all of his gifts? Well, why don't you serve your enemies instead? Not glorifying him as God and not being thankful are the beginning of this terrible descent into sin, individually and as a society. And I put it to you that glorifying Him as God and being thankful are also the way up, the way out. But only in Christ will our eyes be opened. It's easy for us to forget all of God's benefits. Even Christians can be unmindful. Sinclair Ferguson, whom I encourage you to read this morning, He writes, Christian people, too, can be swept along in a spirit of discontentment that surrounds them. Perhaps we've lost the ability that earlier Christians had to discern the difference between being contented with the world, which we can never be, and being contented in the world, which by God's grace we should be. I think this is an excellent distinction. As wonderful as this world is, if we try to seek our contentment, from this world, ultimately we're going to be disappointed and we're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Where is your contentment coming from? This world will never give you all that you want to satisfy. You were made for something more and that is what we have received in Jesus Christ, God's indescribable gift. Christian, remember how much you have to be thankful for. Well, all people know that there is a good God who's been good to them, and all people are without excuse for their unthankfulness. And so, we sang earlier from Psalm 103, this will be my final point to you, that we are to bless the Lord, O our soul, forget not all His benefits. It's been said that gratitude is a thermometer that indicates the state of your spiritual health. How well uh, are you doing spiritually well check your attitude of gratitude well more than a thermometer it's medicine for the soul we are to forget not all of his benefits but as he goes on to say much more we are not to forget the lord himself the one who has done such great things for us Remembering the Lord, glorifying Him, being thankful to Him, is the way out of this downward spiral. We read in Luke's Gospel about some lepers, ten of them, that were healed, only one returning to give thanks to Christ. Nine of the lepers were no doubt super excited that they had been healed, but only one was excited about the healer. And many people, you know, want something out of God. But we, as his people, must want God above all. Many people are happy simply if they can get what they want. We cannot truly be happy until the giver is ours. This is critically important for us as Americans. You think that living in all the blessings of the most prosperous nation in the world would make us the most grateful people on earth, but you know it doesn't work. In fact, it often works the opposite way. And why? The answer is given in our passage. It's not that we don't have plenty to be thankful for, it's that we've forgotten the one to whom we're to be thankful to. And therefore, there is a downward spiral in our society and a deep and abiding sense of contentment is eluding us. Back in the 17th century, a minister named Jeremiah Burroughs preached to his congregation in Holland, a series of sermons that were later published in a book still in print, by the way, Banner of Truth, it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. To be content with the Lord, that is a jewel. But he's right, it is a rare jewel and one that we should treasure to possess. True contentment, he proves, is not related to our circumstances. Before they fell... The fallen angels had heaven itself to dwell in and the immediate presence and favor of God, but they were not content. Adam and Eve had the Garden of Eden to live in with everything in it except one tree, but they were not content. Ahab had his throne and kingdom, but so long as Naboth's vineyard was not his, he was not content. Haman was the favorite of the Persian king, but so long as Mordecai sat at the gate, he was not content his point in multiplying the examples is that contentment is not a passive state of mind in which we simply accept or are happy with whatever comes into our life it's an active state of mind in which we choose to see the very circumstances of our lives as god's handiwork the things that he is using to fulfill his great purposes to bring us grace now and glory in the future whatever we might have or not have, for that matter, if we have the Lord, we are a grateful and contented people. Thanking the Lord, as I said earlier, for grace more than for gifts. In conclusion, the Bible reminds us that gratitude is a, a cure for a great many ills of our souls. Paul writes about how it's a cure for anxiety. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Gratitude is the key to church unity. You know how often bitterness and contention will disappear when we give thanks for all that we have. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ, not referring to the inner peace, but to the peace with our fellow believers, as we have the peace of christ in thankfulness in the church well in summary the bible teaches us as christians to give thanks in all things having his special promise that all things are working together for good to those who love god to those who are the called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he predestined to become to the image of his son all things are not good but All things are working together for good if you love the Lord. And this is to be the source of our great thankfulness, no matter what we might have at the present moment. Uh, In uh, William Law's celebrated book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, (coughs) we read, If anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness and all perfection, he must tell you to make it a rule to yourself, to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. Could you work miracles, you would not do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit, for it heals with a word and it turns all that it touches into happiness. This week, we are blessed with a whole day set aside by our government for one particular religious duty. I think that's unusual, I think that's wonderful. A day that we might pause, reflect, and come back in gratitude to God the giver. And we remember that he has given us many gifts, but ultimately the world and all that is in it will pass away. And if we seek contentment from such things, we are going to be doomed to failure and frustration. But these many good things in creation are to lead us back in thanksgiving to God the giver. And if we have him who has given us all things, then we can be satisfied no matter what's to come. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, let's pray. Our mighty God, our Father of mercies, we again give you humble thanks for all the goodness and loving kindness that you have given to us in Christ we thank you for our creation that we've spoken of earlier of all that is wonderful in your world that you have made for your preservation and providence for all the blessings that has flowed to us in this life but above all for your immeasurable love for redeeming us in Jesus and now we pray this week that you would give us such an awareness of your mercies such awestruck thankful hearts that we would spontaneously show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but also our lives, and that we would give ourselves up more to your service, walking before you in holiness and righteousness, knowing that this is your calling for us, and that all these events of life, good and ill, cannot separate us from your love, but must conform us to the image of your Son. We pray that you would bless us, therefore, through Jesus Christ our Lord, with whom you and the Holy Spirit have everlasting honor and glory throughout all ages. Let's stand together and sing from the blue book, number 108A, God, My Heart is Steadfast, 108A. let stand as we sing.